We are only a few months uh, behind where we uh, should have been had we been actually planning things, uh, but we weren't planning things, so we're, I guess, right where we should be. But uh, we have been covering church history now for uh, at least over a year's worth of sessions. Um, we're heading towards 60 some odd in this particular run through up through Reformation Church history from the beginning, and we have finally arrived at the spot where everybody thinks they've already got it all figured out anyways, uh, especially if you did as I um, suggested, and you still have time to, to do this, but I suggested last week uh, that you uh, write down and, and uh, avail yourself of the free resources on YouTube and uh, that you watch uh, two films, uh, one, the BBC production, uh, Martin Luther Heretic. Uh, Jonathan Pierce, is that? Price. Price. Jonathan Price played uh, Luther in that one. There is another one. Is it on, you, on YouTube as well? I'm not sure. The 2004 Luther movie. I'm sorry? That's how I saw it. It is on YouTube as well? Joseph okay. Fiennes, yeah. Joseph Fiennes, yeah. Uh, it's a longer one. And uh, the Fiennes one... Um, was actually shot on location. So when we were over there, uh, for example, there's a scene in the Fines uh, movie where um, Luther and Staupitz are on their knees. Luther's cleaning a floor uh, in a hallway. And uh, that hallway, the, the door behind them leads right into the chapel um, of the church where Luther was uh, ordained. And then uh, they show him uh, when you were ordained in those days, uh, the night before uh, your ordination, uh, you would spend the night alone in the cathedral, uh, face in, in cruciform form, with face down on, uh, well, it would actually be a, uh, a sepulcher in front of the altar. Uh, basically, and uh, that's still there uh, in Erfurt, uh, Germany, um, and uh, they actually show him laying out on that uh, there in front of the altar, uh, and you, you would spend the night in the dark there um, thinking about what you were going to do, uh, and uh, so anyways, the, the Fines film is uh, is available as well. They'll, they'll both... Uh, uh, give you a lot of good background. And then the other film, which we would have more time for you to get to if you, if you wanted to, uh, is uh, titled The Radicals. It's actually titled The Radicals. Not, it's not entitled anything, but it's titled The Radicals. Um, and it is the story of Michael Sattler. And it sort of generally covers uh, the Anabaptists as a whole. Um, if you uh, need more and further reason to watch it uh spock's dad is in um is in that film as well so not playing spock's dad but uh and he doesn't have funny looking ears but uh, uh he is in that uh that film as well and uh, it uh, it does a really really good job and it will bother you uh to watch the two of them together and uh it's meant to uh, and then when you watch them you will you will see why that is, and of course, uh, when we finally get around to 
uh, and finish up with uh, the Anabaptists um, and that movement in um, Reformation church history, you'll see why uh, I had you watch those those videos. So if you have a chance, I would uh, highly recommend those uh, to you. But uh, we are in uh, Germany, and last time together we had uh, begun to speak a little bit about the situation there as far as the um, Holy Roman Empire, the rise of nationalism. Uh, nationalism was especially strong in Saxony, uh, in Luther's uh, area. And we had talked about the founding of the University of Wittenberg by Charles, uh, I'm sorry, by Frederick the Wise. Uh, Charles is going to be the Holy Roman Empire emperor in a few years. But um, uh, Frederick the Wise, we had talked a little bit about him, uh, the fact that he would end his life uh, as as a Lutheran, but that during his... Most of his life, he had remained uh, technically in fellowship with Rome, though everybody sort of knew uh, where his real sympathies uh, were. Uh, again, very, very important. Uh, we've already talked about this many times, but just to remind you, the issue of sacralism, the state church, by this point in time, it's pretty much been established for over a thousand years um, and as a result, it is very difficult for us to climb back into the minds of the reformers and those who lived that time period so as to understand uh, how even the reformers themselves uh, could be so uh, deeply committed to a sacral understanding of the church and state. Um, they did not have in mind a free church. Um, and if you, if you don't realize that, you're going to really struggle when we start looking at the Anabaptists and looking at how, um, well, 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 we'll talk a little bit about um, Luther. Uh, not sure if we'll get to it this week. Probably will. We'll see. Uh, Luther and his fight for religious Freedom to a point. Uh, Religious freedom to establish another sacral church uh, in which there would be no religious freedom for anybody who doesn't agree with that perspective. Um, And it it causes us to struggle a little bit, uh, and it does damage our superhero images uh, that, unfortunately, we have, but we want to uh, know what really happened. Um, Mentioned a while back the whole constellation of amazing uh, intellects that lived in the year 1500. Uh, Luther was born November 10th, 1483. So in 1500, he would be uh, 16, 17 years of age. His parents were Hans and Margareta. Um, Hans Luther uh, was a was involved in mining. Uh, Luther liked to talk about his peasant stock, uh, but the reality is his parents would would be considered upper middle class. I would say, not royalty or you know anything like that, um, but they they weren't 
they weren't super poor. Uh, they, 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 had, they had money, uh, and in fact, uh, one of the issues that could come up later on is uh, uh, Hans Luther made a fairly substantial contribution to the monastery at Erfurt. That's why there was a problem when Luther struggled to uh, perform the Mass, as all the videos will show you. Uh, Hans was, was embarrassed, uh, and it was, the embarrassment was increased by the fact that he had had funding to contribute toward the monastery. So um, Luther wouldn't have lived in the lap of luxury, but he also wasn't uh, scraping at the dirt to try to find things to eat either. So uh, keep that in, uh, in mind. Um, like most rural Germans, uh, his was a, what we would call a somewhat superstitious family. Um, you know, uh, when the, the story would be, um, uh, well, we, when you tell the story here in a moment of the, the lightning strike, you know, there, there are people today who go, ah, that probably didn't happen. Uh, there's, there's, there's a lot of revisionism going on, especially in Germany right now, in regards to Luther and um, just all sorts of th- silly theories that are being propounded about himself, Melanchthon, all sorts of people. Uh, you, you've always got to try to change history to make it fit the, the modern, modern narrative. But modern man sort of struggles a little bit to understand how Luther could be in some instances, so far-seeing, and then in other instances, so very short-sighted, and that it would be so challenging to the modern mind to recognize that for Luther, um, this was a very supernatural world. You know, I mentioned with Erasmus, uh, the fleas biting at him were demons. Uh, well, that, that, that would be something that Luther would understand and probably wouldn't take umbrage at. Uh, his was a fairly superstitious family, very disciplined. Hans, Hans Luder, uh, L-U-D-E-R, in the earlier documents. Um, and remember, as I pointed out, uh, spelling was rather fluid in those days, as it seems to be now, thanks to the Internet again as well, uh, but for different reasons. Um, Hans Luder, a, a strong disciplinarian, um, and, of course, that has also been a part of... If you go to the library, you look up Luther, you, you will find there's this whole field of a modern psychoanalysis of Luther. I mean, wow, it is bad. Because, um, uh, you know, a lot of people today would look at Luther and they would say, Bipolar. Um, they they want to they want to try to do some you know psychoanalysis in the past, which is always great for getting a, an article published. But I'm not sure how useful it is in actually uh, casting light on past events. But especially when the, about the only uh, information you have about them is from uh, you know the individual himself or or people second third hand whatever it might be. There is no question that Luther had deep periods of uh, depression. Uh, it is uh, told, we'll, we'll meet Katie later on, uh, but his, Catherine von Bora, his wife, 
the story is is told of uh, during one of these dark, dark times, uh, Luther was alone down in the darkness of the of the basement, and uh, something we here in Arizona don't know anything about, but in other places you actually have these holes in the ground you can go down into under your house. It's great. Um, and uh, this is actually in places where you can <laughs> dig in the ground and not immediately run into a rock. Um, but uh, he was down in the basement, and uh, uh, Katie comes down, and uh, she uh, uh, just sits down, just sits down next to him, and says says nothing, and just just has this uh, horribly depressed look as well. And so he, you know how it is when you're depressed that you know, someone comes along, and you're like. Hey, you can't be more depressed than me. Uh, stop ruining my depression, you know. And uh, so she uh, she looks at uh, he looks at at her and says, "What's wrong with you? Well, haven't you heard? Oh, what? God is dead. God is dead. Woman, what are you babbling about? God can't die." And she says, "Well." It certainly is the only thing I can explain why you've been down here for so long. And, um, you know, uh, you just hate it when people ruin your, your, your good pout that way, you know. Um, but uh, you know, he, he had this, these kinds of, of deep, dark fits. And uh, one of the things, uh, when we were preparing to go over to Germany last year, I read all of Luther's... Uh, Correspondence. Well, okay, not all of it. I read a bunch of Luther's correspondence that he wrote, especially while he was at the Wartburg Castle after his encounter with Charles in 1520. And uh, interesting fellow. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I really would have wanted to have been one of his friends um, because. Uh, yeah. Well. Uh, he he was yeah he was quite quite intriguing and uh, uh, he also in later life uh, would have uh, some physical issues. Um, being a monk really isn't good for your body. Um, he's always shown as a rather portly fellow, but he he wasn't a portly fellow um, initially. Uh, the earlier portraits show him to be uh, more almost thin and gaunt. Uh, evidently, marriage uh, had something to do. Uh, that, it's not the first time that's happened, huh? Um, uh, guys get, uh, get married skinny, and uh, by the time they're 40, well, anyway. Um, so that, that sort of happened with, uh, with Luther as well. But he had lifelong, shall we say, digestive issues, which he, uh, which he would... Um, um, share with his friends in his letters from the Wartburg Castle. It was like, okay, you know, in the same letter where you've got this stuff about everything that's going on in the Reformation, and you have a few paragraphs about how rough things are going for uh, for Luther in that area. And uh, so, you had to be a, you really had to be a friend uh, to. Um, anyway, um, uh, Luther studied in a Latin school close uh, to home. He entered the University of Erfurt in May of 1501. Uh, Erfurt is a very interesting city. Uh, a lot of the city of that day uh, still exists. 
uh, the cathedral uh, up on the uh, up on the hillside. Really impressive, uh, very very impressive. Uh, you go up to it over these these very large number of steps, and it just dominated the skyline. And uh, uh, the the city itself, uh, we we. Uh, when you go over to the university, you have to cross the, the river. And uh, it's interesting, they would, um, they would build these bridges and they would build all sorts of um, structures on these, these bridges. So you, don't, you, don't, you hardly even know that you're crossing a bridge because it's just, there's just houses and everything on, on each side of you. The problem was they, they built primarily out of wood uh, back then. And... Uh, Every few decades, um, somebody would tip over uh, something, and woof, uh, the whole place would uh, would go up. Um, but the uh, much of the uh, much of the University of Erfurt is still there. What's interesting is uh, when I spoke there, uh, we spoke in a very modern building. Uh, the reason being that building had been built since uh, World War II. Um, and that would, it was on the site where Luther would have done most of his studying, but that building was wiped out by one of the very last bombing raids uh, by the Allies in, uh, in World War II. Took a direct hit, you know, right down the, the proverbial smokestack and uh, just, uh, just blew it away. Um, just missing, obviously, the, um, uh, the church next door that was, is so central in so much of Luther's experience uh, that I was just describing that they shot in the, um, in the finds version of the, the Luther story. So uh, the building right next door. And you'll see a lot of that in Europe. You'll, you'll be walking along in, uh, amongst buildings that are many hundreds of years old, and all of a sudden there's something that ain't hundreds of years old. And uh, it, was, it was due to the... Uh, Damage uh, during during the war, of course. Um, so, 1501, uh, he's in in Erfurt. Um, he receives his BA uh, a year and a half li- later, 1502. Um, and on January 7th, 1505, so in three years, he receives his uh, Master of Arts degree, and he began to study law. However, shortly after this, he had his famous thunderstorm experience. And again, there's all sorts of revisionists. They're trying to undo these things. But um, while walking near Stotternheim on July 2nd, uh, which is not very far from Erfurt, a lightning bolt struck close to him during a summer thunderstorm. And in terror, he cried out, St. Anne, help me and I will become a monk. Now, St. Anne was the patron saint of miners, uh, and of course, his father was a miner, so it would have been natural uh, for him to seek St. Anne's intercession. Um, but it is interesting to us today, um, his father strongly opposed this, monks begged for food, uh, while under the strictures of the order they could they they had they could only uh walk uh they could not ride a horse or a donkey they could not own land or property um and 
obviously uh, Hans had been hoping that Martin would take care of him in his older age. And, uh, you know, it's always good to have a lawyer in the family, you know. <laughs> um, and um, so he had had plans. And, and uh, so despite that, Luther had made an oath. And years later, he would um, write on the uh, validity of oaths, especially in regards to uh, monks leaving orders and abandoning their oath of celibacy and things like that, and would argue that he probably had actually made a mistake in dishonoring his father um, for the sake of an oath years and years earlier. Um, But he had made the oath and felt that it was absolutely necessary, that that was, that was his highest duty. Uh, he, had, he had sworn to St. Anne that if he lived, he'd become a monk. He had lived, therefore, he didn't have any choice. And despite the fact that I'm sure uh, the look that, uh, that Hans gave Martin was probably significantly worse than any look I've ever given Josh. So uh, I'm not even sure I could, I could do a Hans Luter type German minor look. I, I don't, I'm not sure I could pull that one off. So, um, so uh, two weeks later, uh, he walked down this narrow street. There is a wall all around the monastery. There is a gate, which is still there today, which we went through, and there's a bell. And uh, you ring the bell, and a monk comes to the, to the gate, looks through the gate at you, and and uh, what do you wish? And I wish to become a monk. And um, if you are allowed through that gate, you leave all of your, your earthly possessions behind. Um, we went into the uh, building where uh, the monks would live. Um, these were, well, you've heard the monks sell. And there's a reason they're called cells. Um, uh, I suppose I should... You know, again, I, I could have set up, we could have, uh, I was thinking about it last year going, wow, this could be really great. I'm going to show lots of pictures. And, and it's like, ah, it's a lot, of, a lot of effort to set up that, that projection system and hope that it's going to work. Um, but these are, um, these are about uh, less than a quarter the size of a Motel 6 room, okay? Uh, they're, they're, there's nothing in there. There might you might have a desk if you had work to be if if what you were doing required you to be doing work. Um, but uh, you might have a straw mat. Uh, Luther was well known late in later life for saying that he, as part of his uh, discipline, would uh, sleep on the stone floor, even in the winters, uh, without a blanket. Uh, and it can get quite cold in, uh, in Germany, um, and that he would frequently fast and things like that. Uh, very, very small place, uh, really no, no privacy or anything like that, um, and this, was, this would be your, uh, your life. So this would be significantly more strict than what Luther would have experienced at the university or things like that. He had, uh, the, the, the data indicates that while he was at the university in the years prior to that, 
that he had lived a, a comfortable life, the comfortable life of a student. He, he wasn't one of the, the poor people in the, in the class. Um, he was doing okay. So this would be a difficult time, a, a time of transition. In 1507, Luther took holy orders. So this would have been uh, that time where prior to receiving that ordination, he would have spent uh, the night uh, laying with his arms out, face down on the uh, sepulcher that is in front of the high altar of the church. And uh, the church would be locked and closed and it would be dark and you would stay there uh, all night. Uh, contemplating what you're going to be doing. I would just be, I would just be having back spasms personally uh, in that situation, but they must have been tougher than us back then. I don't think I could sleep in that, in that way, but um, that's what he would have done. So 1507, and on May 2nd of 1507, um, he attempted to celebrate his first Mass. Now, again, there are differing stories. Uh, the generally understood uh, version is that when Luther got to the words of consecration, uh, I mean, he, he had a, a really sharp mind. So there wouldn't have been any issue in his having memorized all the proper um, canons and, and things that you needed to do and the way that you needed to do them and the things you needed to say in Latin and everything else. Um, but when he got to the words of consecration and um, some of you older folks who were Roman Catholic many, 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 many moons ago, will remember Latin masses. Uh, Vatican II um, allowed for the mass to be said in the vernacular, and uh, there are a lot of people today that trace the corruption of the modern Roman church back to those days, uh, actually. Um, but um, uh, in the, the mass, at a certain point, the priest elevates the host and in Latin would say, hoc es corpus meum, this is my body. And uh, due to the ordination, when, when a Roman Catholic priest is ordained, uh, according to Roman Catholic belief, uh, that person's very soul is marked with a sacramental authority to perform the Mass and the miracle of transubstantiation. And even being excommunicated, kicked out, run out of the church, cannot change that. So from at least historic Roman Catholic perspective, uh, you, can be, you can become a complete apostate, you can become an atheist, and be, be excommunicated. But if you've ever been ordained, even as an atheist, you still have the capacity uh, to change the elements in the body, soul, blood, and divinity of Jesus. And so uh, at that point, the elevation of the host and the saying of those words, this is my body, uh, this seems to be 
where Luther stumbled. And to understand his stumbling um, is to understand a little bit about what drove Martin Luther. And that's why, again, the videos are helpful here because they both do a good job, and uh, especially Martin Luther Heretic. They both do a good job in briefly but forcefully helping you to understand that the concept of God's holiness and justice was deeply ingrained in Luther's mind, and this is what is going to um, be so central in his coming to understand what justice, justification, righteousness uh, means in the New Testament in, in Paul's language, which, of course, you know, in the modern day, uh, the new perspective on Paul and all the rest of that stuff is, ah, see, Luther was just... Luther just had his personal issues. We've gotten beyond Luther's personal issues. Well, we can talk about that uh, a little bit more. But uh, the idea of him as a sinful individual. Now, here is a, a, a newly minted priest, but uh, he was well known in the years after this uh, for spending an inordinate amount of time in the confessional. His father confessor was named Staupitz. Um, and uh, he was prior of the monastery. And Staupitz always represented in the videos as a kind, insightful, wonderful elderly man. And Everything I've ever read of him would indicate that that's what he was. Staupitz um, recognizes in Luther this kind of contemplative, self-critical individual. I don't know how he couldn't if he, when he had to spend. I, I can imagine uh, every time he looked through the latticework of that confessional box and saw Luther coming, it was just like, oh, no. Well, so much for lunch today, you know. Uh, that's, uh, that's the way that is. And um, yet he didn't allow that to turn into a kind of uh, dislike for the man. Um, Staupitz, Staupitz is one of those, those characters that, again, makes you struggle with the ease with which many of us will just simply dismiss everybody in that time period before Luther as a lost pagan. Um, we should struggle because Jesus said he'd build his church. There were still believers. Just where were they? Uh, well, they were hiding in the woods in France. Uh, there are some who will go that far. It's the only ones there were. Stalpitz's responses to Luther as to what Luther should do were pretty good. Um, they were pretty good. And uh, it is interesting, if you ever have the chance, you ought to look through the, uh, the hymnal sometime and see how many of our most favorite hymns were 
written by people in the preceding hundred years, right before the Reformation, uh, they, they seem to sometimes have some pretty good insights and some pretty bad ones, too. You have to, you have to look at each person individually. Anyway, Luther um, sees himself as unworthy of holding the body of God. God is holy. He is not. And at least give him credit for actually believing that what he was doing actually meant something. So many of the priesthood in Luther's day, you know, very formal, uh, external, you know, you, you observed the rites, but not with your heart. Uh, at, at least give to, to Luther uh, credit. He was really thinking about what he was saying and what he was doing and what it allegedly meant. And he believed it. That's why he couldn't say it. Uh, because he could not see himself as worthy of, of engaging in this activity and holding the very body of God. And so there's always, well, not always, but there's very normally in a large situation uh, another priest standing by to assist you. And that, that priest stepped in and, and finished these things. And as far as we can tell, uh, Hans Luther, who has come to observe this, Still not happy that his son has gone the direction he has, but like I said, he's made a donation to the monastery. He comes and he leaves furious uh, that uh, his son has embarrassed him uh, in not being able to finish that, um, that, that mass. And so uh, Staupitz recognizing the introspective um, character of Luther, knowing that Luther fasted uh, beyond what the rules the order called for, um, was, was frequently ill because the way he was mistreating his body, the uh, length of... Uh, as Luther himself would say in later years, if anyone could have been saved by monkery, it would have been me. Um, now, you know, again, people question that, but there doesn't seem to be real, any real reason to do so. Um, and so much, yes, sir. Now, the Augustinians weren't the largest. Um, you know, you have, you have uh, other larger orders, especially the Dominicans. Um, you know, it, it could simply have been that the Augustinians uh, were the, you know, uh, well, there were, there were other places he could have gone there in Erfurt. Erfurt was a fairly major city. Um, the fact that it's an Augustinian order is extremely important uh, and will be important, I think, to the, the shape of the German Reformation in particular. Um, not quite as important to uh, Luther, uh, I'm sorry, to Zwingli as it is to Luther. But yeah, you can definitely see a very important influence of Augustine's theology, even though the Augustinianism of 1510 um, is not quite faithful to Augustine. Um, uh, Augustine's 
monergism, which we've talked about before. Remember the three pits that I drew up here on the board? Um, Augustine's monergism and strong emphasis on the sovereignty of God and things like that had to be adjusted in light of the development of the sacramental system within Roman Catholicism in the years after. So it wasn't a pure Augustinianism, but you, you read Augustine enough that you would be uh, influenced by his, uh, his perspectives. And so uh, it, it, it really is important. Uh, Luther struggled, you know, he saw... He saw the New Testament's teachings on grace. He heard Augustine talking about grace, but until that fateful breakthrough, and there's disagreement amongst people as to when it was, but until that point in time where he came to understand that he did not have to fear the holiness of God because that righteousness was not a standard to which he could never, ever attain. It was the gift of God by faith in Christ Jesus, um, only by faith and not by works. Um, Until that breakthrough, uh, those promises of grace just seemed to be for somebody other than him. He couldn't understand how they could be for him. Um, So they were there, the relationship between them, had been uh, so muddled by the insertion of man's activities and the sacraments and things like that that it was difficult for him to see what the connection was until God's grace allowed him to do that. And what put him on the track to doing that was, again, Staupitz. Um, in one of the films, I think it's, uh, I think it's Martin Luther Heretic, uh, when Luther is basically weeping at his feet. What shall I do, Father? What shall I do? And uh, he says, uh, eat more food, get more sleep, and learn more about God. And uh, so he puts him on an academic track rather than a pastoral perspective or just being that. He uh, pushes him toward... um, going on for his uh, doctorate and for, uh, for teaching. And so uh, that is a very, very important um, aspect of things. I, I was about to say before that question, uh, Staupitz found Luther unconscious from lack of food, uh, sleeping without a blanket uh, in his cell more than once. And uh, Luther, very often uh, pointed out that he felt this was where he developed his uh, gastrointestinal difficulties uh, for the rest of his life, was in that time period. So that, uh, that does come up in both films, uh, because he can't read Luther without uh, encountering that particular, that particular issue. Now, very briefly, uh, I only have a few minutes left. Very, very, very important um, episode in Luther's life took place between November of 1510 and April of 1511. Uh, Luther was sent to Rome on business for the Augustinian order. And you might say that's a long time period, but that's because he had to walk. 
Um, it takes a while to walk from Wittenberg to Rome, I assure you. Um, and uh, so he had to walk uh, back and forth. Uh, that's why the younger Luther is thinner than the older Luther is, who doesn't do nearly as much walking. Um, what he saw in, uh, in Rome deeply disturbed him, deeply disturbed him. Uh, this was the first time he had been there, of course. Um, when, you, when you hear stories about a place that is supposed to be a special place of holiness and grace and God's presence and, and things like this, um, the reality is always going to be somewhat disappointing. Um, I think of, for example, talking to former Mormons about their experiences, and, and one that's been a, a normal experience amongst them uh, has been um, anticipation of going to the temple. And you've been told about the temple is this very special place. We're going to have special spiritual experiences and, and, um, and almost invariably, almost invariably, uh, the honest Mormon will admit that after going through the endowment ceremony for the first time in the Mormon temple, they're just left going, really? That was... That was what I've been anticipating uh, all, all the way up to this time period in my life. Signs, tokens, penalties, wearing weird clothes and sign the nail and the compass and memorizing a secret name and uh, watching movies because that's, unless you go to the Salt Lake Temple where they still use actors at all the other temples in the world, they have these videos that... that do it now, and, and uh, they're extremely disappointed. Um, it, it, you know, they, they were told it was going to be one thing, and the reality wasn't that, and yet they're put under a lot of pressure to say it was something it wasn't, and, and uh, so it, it really impacts them in a, in, in a way that may not be visible initially because they may just try to go along with the flow and maybe it'll get better over time or whatever. Um, same thing here for Luther. Uh, he, he comes to Rome, and this is the, the seat of Christ's church. And, and the things that he sees and experiences lay the foundation for what's going to happen seven to, seven to nine years later. Because I, I would say by 1519, Luther is completely broken from the church. I mean... Uh, it's a process, um, but it's pretty much irreparable by 1519. I mean, you look at the books he writes in 1519, it's, you know, the Pope is the Antichrist, and so on and so forth. So it's fairly, fairly certain. So it starts the process um, via disillusionment, a recognition that Rome... You know, once he'd start hearing people saying things about Rome, now he'd go, yeah, that's pretty much the way it was. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's pretty bad. 
So we'll, we'll pick up with some of the things that he saw and experienced uh, there in Rome uh, the next time we're together, and then uh, start looking at some of the studying and the teaching he was doing, and then the next subject is indulgences and tetzel and all sorts of fun stuff like that. So we will, we will press on in our, uh, in our study of church history. We're out of time. Let's uh, close the word of prayer. Father, once again, we look back upon your working with your people, and we ask that you would help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear, uh, to learn both from the good as well as the mistakes. Uh, Lord, that we might be thankful that you have been working with your people all of these generations as we pray that you are working with us, uh, us even now. Be with us now as we go into worship. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.